Investing insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and helping property investors gain financial security. G'day everyone. Episode 3, Series 3, Investing Insights of the Right Property Group. Phil Tarrant here, co-host, joined by my partners in crime, uh, our regular panellist of uh, property experts, smiles on faces, but uh, people involved in property, Steve Waters and Victor Kumar, directors of Right Property Group. Gentlemen, Happy New Year. Welcome. How are you going? Good. Good, good, good mate. Happy New Year. Do you have a holiday, Steve? I get one a year. Do you? And it's, and it's now first day back. First day back. Oh, wow. There you go. That's a good holiday. <laughs> What's the only one I get? Yeah, I Four weeks. What yeah. have you been doing? You've been uh, anything property related or you've been avoiding property? It um, Look, it's really hard to avoid it hmm. when you're every day. Um, so there's always something to do, whether it's on my existing portfolio, a lot of repairs and maintenance over Christmas, as it just happened to be, uh, or just analysing, really, different markets, different things, uh, keeping tabs on the economy, everything that drives mindset for an investor. How do you get your, other than listening to uh, podcasts? Um, and, and, of course, listening to podcasts. Yes. Yeah. Uh, how do you, how do you um, collect Information. How do you absorb information? Are you a, are you a reader? Are you a watcher? Are you a? And this is an interesting question because um I get asked this a lot by other people how I become educated around property. And my, my my purpose of education, my process of education is chatting to guys like you, right? That's mm. how I that's how I learn. Uh, how do you learn? I I read mm. and uh, I read a lot of reports. I do a lot of numbers, uh, and also spend. I need to touch it and feel it. So a lot of uh, immersing myself into different markets, uh, yeah, locally and doing whatever I can to actually distinguish what's truth and, and what's not because numbers are numbers but nothing beats actual ground truth, as we always say. You still get out a lot yourself, don't you? I know you've got a reasonably big team now, uh, right, probably group who are covering Australia, looking at property mm. markets, but you you still yourself, as you know, yourself and Victor, you know, at the helm of this business, but it's still critical for you to be on the ground, right? So you can yeah. apply that knowledge you collect somewhere else where, you know, in a real world. Well, it, it, exactly, mm. and it, it allows us to keep a pulse on the market and mm. know exactly where it's at. And I think we, we did a podcast many months ago on, on the Perth market, I think it was. Yes, that's right. About what we thought and, and how we collate the information. And once again, ground truth's a lot of it. But we're out there all the time because nothing is – everything is real. It's, it's not just a statistic and it's not just data. And the only way that you really can find the pulse of the market is by, by being there. And, and you, Victor, how do you sort of absorb information and synthesize it? What's your sort of mental process for doing this? Well, certainly, a podcast obviously is a big chunk of it, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm an avid reader, but I then translate that onto um, research on the ground. So if I've um, discovered a new area, I try and read up as many uh, articles, as many reports on that area before I actually go, down, go there. And of course, also look at it retrospectively as well. So areas that I had picked uh, that I was following, I'd go back, you know, six months later and see whether the um, opinions I had formed was actually correct or whether a few other things have happened in the market. So it's really important to differentiate and, and be mindful that uh, as a researcher that you not only relying on desktop research, you're actually on the ground and validating the data that you've got. Because data can, depending on, on uh, how you read it, data can be skewed so many different ways uh, and uh, really nothing beats at the end of the day correlating the data and putting a story behind it by actually being on the ground. And you can see why people get analysis yeah, paralysis, absolutely. right? When you, when you start to collate all the information and, and, and decipher it, there is so much of it out there. And if you don't have or if you don't gain the experience um, learning to decipher it, well, the paralysis just, just 
sets in. It, it happens to me when I look for anything other than, or if I buy anything other than real estate, all the information that's out there, mm. I just it blows my mind. So, so Victor, there's um, when you're researching property and. And I'm thinking this in a context of 2019, right? Like what, mm. What's going to happen? So a lot of people have this same mindset right now. In the first month of the year, what type of information do you read? So you've got primary documents. So mm. these are large-scale research reports or white papers or, or data and analysis that's done by large reputable institutions or governments. And then you have um, sort of secondary information, which might be other people's interpretation of that information. Mm-hmm. So when you go about the process, and, and the reason why I ask is because I get this asked question a lot to me, what do I read? So what do you read? Mm as primary documents and then how much weight do you apply on other people's um, opinions. Uh, in, in, opinions or interpretation of that same information? Yeah, sure. Before before I even look at those reports, the very first documents or, or information source I look for is the actual state government resources. So what infrastructure they're putting in, what expenditure plans they have in the future, and then overlay, overlay that with the federal expenditure plan to make sure that the report that I'm looking at then is correlating back to where it's all going to start off from, which is the expenditure from the government to put in infrastructure, increase population, decrease population, make things more attractive for that area. And then it then makes sense when you're reading a report and uh, and just making a suburb up right now, just saying that you know, Parramatta is going to do really well because of X, Y, and Z is what the report says. But let's say the state government is not going to spend money in that area. They, they were going to, but they've, they've now halted that. We need to correlate the two so that uh, we, we're talking about pertinent information that all gels together. And it's not just one person's opinion that uh, read a report uh, of, from the state government, say, two years ago and now has put it into writing and it is very dated information. So the, the, the research has to be dynamic. What works last year, what worked last year may not work this year because we're now looking at different uh, market sentiment. We're looking at different... Um, expenditure. We've got the election coming up, uh, the federal election. So all of these things need to then play into the written reports, the documents that you're looking at, to make sure that we're looking at it from a holistic picture rather than just micro researching as well. Summarize what you're saying. Then you've got to be careful about where you secure your information Absolutely. from and the process you use to make your own opinions against. That, that, that sort of primary documentation. Mm. And a lot of people go down the process of reading something saying, yes, that's completely right. Um, and, and so they're very positive about it, or as other people apply the logic of everything they read, they try and criticise or find an argument against it. So, so you've you got to, to work have support, out you... You, have, you have to find the supporting articles for it, the supporting uh, factors for it to make it absolutely sure that what you're reading is what's actually going to formulate. And then again, still... It is very much a prediction at the end of the day because things could change overnight. The, the government could change their tune, the economy could turn, the, the um, investor sentiment could change as well. So we need to factor all those things in. So it's nearly impossible to work out what's going to happen in property then. Is that, is that how it works, Steve? This, this is what you guys do. This is your job, right? You, you support your clients through giving interpretations of markets and actually understanding their personal situation, what their objectives are, and then applying that to an actual transaction at some point, which is the acquisition of a property in a certain area. So there's quite a lot of stress put on you guys to be knowledgeable about everything that's happening, but then also sophisticated enough to to pinpoint what to do and how to do it. And 2019 is a, is a challenging market compared to past markets. If I think back to, you know, 2014, 2015, um, even earlier, you know, buying something in Sydney was pretty straightforward and you're guaranteed mm. a, uh, a good return. But now we're in a market where, you know, should you be uh, investing in Sydney? So what I want to do today, Steve, is to 
do a bit of around the grounds. Um, 2019, start of the year, understanding some of the markets uh, across Australia and your Invictus sort of sentiments towards those based on the research you've done and uh, the ground truth, which is the term of yours, Steve, that you've had operating on the ground. But I thought we'd kick off with with probably the, the most difficult market in Australia, Sydney. And I know Sydney's done the death at the moment, but it is one of our, it is our largest investable market in Australia or New South Wales. And it obviously attracts a lot of attention as a result of that. But 2019, the market softened quite a lot over 2018 in Sydney, as predicted. I think everyone's sitting around waiting for the market to bottom uh, and then they will strike. So from the research you, yourself and Victor have done on the city market, when is it time to get in and is it the right market to be getting into at any point in 2019? Look, that's the that's the $64 million question. When is the right time to get in uh, into the, if we talk about the Sydney market? We'll start with Sydney. We'll, if we start with Sydney, states. look, we have actually purchased mm-hmm. uh, probably half a dozen properties in the last couple of months throughout Sydney, but they've been quite unique in what they are and, and quite opportunistic at the same time uh, because we saw value there. To, to give an example, one was 28% mm-hmm. uh, below its peak, which was... Yeah, you know, a phenomenal purchase. We thought, in fact, it goes back to 2014 prices for That's that right. particular property. Uh, so that for, for us, that made good sense, and there was a couple others just like it. But that doesn't mean that that's just across the whole of the the Sydney basin, so to speak. Uh, I think some areas will continue to suffer or contract, soften, whichever way you want to paint it up. But I believe there are other areas that are very close, if not have bottom. Now, all of this, Australia wide, the market is going to be dependent upon finance that's the there are people that want to still invest lots of people still want to purchase whether they can get the money or not is the is is the trick is the key uh, ingredient but um all things being fair and equal if, if finance stays the way it is then i as i say i think some areas of sydney will continue to suffer and there are some that have bottomed out if not they're very close but i do think there's opportunity throughout the sydney market being very opportunistic, being very deliberate at the same time in what you purchase, and I think you'll see value. Look, I think I think it's really important to understand that when you're buying in Sydney, the market has turned. So what what would be a good buy or a good property to buy, say, two years ago, is definitely not the right type of property to buy in your portfolio right now. You need to, like like you said, need to look at it from an opportunistic point of view, uh, and certainly we need to also understand that the market may not have bottomed out in Sydney right now. And so any property that you're buying, you need to have a medium to long-term look, uh, you know, outlook on it and be mindful that if it did go wrong, you may, if you haven't bought really well and you haven't, uh, haven't identified the opportunity, you may end up uh, losing a bit of money because you may not get the same price when you throw in your stamp duty and your legal costs and so forth. You may not get the same price. Uh, that will get you to break even. So it's really important that people just don't jump back in um, just because the market has softened. This is something that that we predicted years ago, that the market would go through its peak and then it'll soften and that's the time to come back in. But it's it's equally important to understand that in New South Wales, in Sydney in particular, your yields aren't going to be there. So it's all about what the property can do. And that was the next component I was going to mm. talk about. It, even though there might be opportunities to purchase, doesn't mean that you could necessarily afford them on the cash flow side of things. Yeah, absolutely. Especially yeah. with the way finance is right now, isn't it? Well, 100%. Yeah. But yeah. I think if you can find something in Sydney West where you can build in the mitigation, the risk mitigation by adding value to it, so something mm. that's perhaps cosmetically challenged is an option, and create its equity that way, even though the market may compress a little bit further. I remember someone saying to me not long ago that you don't wait for shoes to come off sale before you start. Exactly buying them and i thought that was a pretty good analogy with property as well there's there's only so far the market can contract before it does represent Mm -hmm. extreme value or good value Uh, and that's everyone else's unique opinion i suppose but for us there are certain areas that'll do it 
So what sort of stuff do you buy in a city market if you are? Like you're talking about opportunistic purchases and finding stuff that's 28% below its peak a couple of years ago. Yeah. They're hard to find. So, right. so let, let, let's talk about that property yeah. then. Um, um, so it, it was a purchase um, in the southwest of Sydney and the purchase price was 415k. It was on the market a year ago for 600. It never was worth 600 to begin with, right? So uh, deceased estate, the um, vendors finally became a lot more realistic and probably worth, at, at its peak, it was probably worth around the 530 mark. So effectively, we've got a little bit more than 100 grand off it. If you look at it from its peak to where it is now, will it go down further? Maybe. It, it needs help in terms of uh, renovation in the sense that it certainly would help if we replace the blinds, replace the uh, floor coverings and gave it a coat of paint. Um, the rent on it would be around the uh, $400 week mark. But the um, uh, opportunity on this obviously is, is the value on the property, but also the ability to put a secondary dwelling on it so that this no longer becomes a, um, a heavy negative cash flow property. It you know, once you put the granny flat on, it can it can certainly in the medium uh, term. Yeah, in the medium term, yeah. But what's also in that particular case, which was attractive, was the the ability to be able to evaluate with a haircut and a yes. shave, as you call it. Mm. So that the risk mitigation there is in terms of its value. Mm-hmm. Secondary income there is another tick in terms of the mitigation, but also the fact that the land value for this alone was. There's around three fifty. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it's below cost of replacement, but uh, that's not a be all and ever because not everyone's capable of actually doing that, or or would it suit their portfolio if they've got an existing portfolio? It's just merely an example of there is value out there. It's just identifying value and then being able to execute. But this is an important point at which I wanted to raise values in the eye of the beholder. So a property like that, would that be suitable for someone who is doing their first investment, or is it for someone who depends is depends on their skill set? Yeah, depends on their yeah. cash flow. Uh, their, their household cash flow uh, indicators. It, everyone has a unique position and it may not suit everybody, but it will suit some people. Mm. So that's Southwest Sydney. I'm, I'm sure you won't give me the the, uh, the suburb because uh, that's just- Ever the, the journalist, aren't you? <laughs> but I think just look, but d- d- <laughs> just on that though, even though it wasn't the Southwest, Southwest Corridor, by the way, about two million people live out there. So oh, well, this is where I was choice. Yeah, I know, right? This is where I was going. Yeah. I still believe there are portions of that southwest corridor mm. that are at high risk. Mm. Yeah, there's probably two to three thousand dwellings that are in the pipeline there that are either yet to be constructed or yeah. halfway through construction. That's going to put quite a lot of pressure on. You have to take that supply. into account, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. and and I think this is one of the the indicators that wh- whether it be Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, Adelaide, the Moon, we're always looking at sort of price. Mm. We're looking at population. Uh, and we're looking at performance as well. It's it's just the three factors that we're always looking for is how they're going to perform over the short, medium, and long term. So I'm listening to this podcast going, yeah, that's all really good. That's very academic, guys. Thanks for skirting around where I should be buying or should I buy, be buying in Sydney. How do I work it out? How do I go, that's good, that, that represents good value? How do I work out where I should be shopping around for a property if I am ready to invest and being ready to invest is I've got finance and I've got you know, price points I can invest in all sort of stuff. Tell me something really tangible about the city market. So what we're Just, assuming that you've sat down and you, and you know your own financial circumstances yep, and everything like that, you're ready yep, to pull the trigger on yep. something. Do I invest in Sydney? And uh, No. Okay. Oh, sorry, no, I'll take that back. Would I invest in Sydney if the right opportunity uh, presented itself? Yes. If because it's it's the strategy, it's the, what's the outcome I'm looking for, whether I'm buying in Sydney or Melbourne or Perth or wherever it may be, Brisbane, what's the outcome I'm looking for? And if Sydney's going to give me that outcome today because of the way I purchase it and how I purchase it and what price I got it for, then maybe, 
Yes. So, so how to work that out? What are the trigger points then? So an outcome being I'm looking for capital growth, so therefore a Sydney play might work or, you know, to Victor's point, I'm not going to get yields in Sydney at the moment because of the, the, the way the market is. But maybe that's a good thing as well and that suits some particular strategy I might have around portfolio construction. What are the trigger points when every man of these dog is going to say, wow, Sydney is the place to be. Sydney is a hotspot. Sydney is a big place, right? But Massive. we're talking Sydney well, in general. I'd be looking at pipeline. To be honest with you, I, yep. I want to know what's in the pipeline. In what? In the infrastructure? Or, no, no, uh, as in dwellings. Okay. Because there is, and this is not just Sydney. You're talking too is, many properties coming on the market, so it's saturated. Under construction. Under, okay, we're talking construction. Yeah, yep. or, or DA'd and people have to build because it's it's more slash less profitable profitable for them to build than it is to actually not. So I'd be looking at the pipeline because, and it's not just Sydney, that's Australia-wide. Where and how many properties, if I buy this property, property A today, how many properties are in the pipeline that are going to be constructed or finished constructing over the next 12 to 24 months and how does that look for me? How is that going to affect my value and also my cash flow? So you're saying you should be looking at areas in Sydney, and we'll stick with Sydney a little bit longer, where the markets aren't going to get saturated. So properties where there is not going to be too many options for other buyers, whether they're homeowners or they're, they're first-home buyers. You want to be in tightly held areas uh, where there's not a lot of construction going on. Is that a fair assessment? Um, to a degree, but also yeah. the property type because we know that a lot of units are coming online mm. and so not all areas will suit units and if you can – or sorry, a lot of areas do suit units, but if you can get a house, it's even better uh, and that might represent value. So this is where dialing right in and going through the steps in terms of your diligence – pays huge dividends down the line. So there's no use me going to Parramatta and buying another unit today, even if I get it at 28% of its price. It just doesn't represent good value to where my portfolio sits and I'd suggest a lot of other people's portfolios for that matter. But if I could find, I don't know, 800 square metres in the heart of Parramatta for 28% below its, um, its peak price, I might consider that because there's opportunity for me there in the future. So it's always... It depends. Answer. It is and who it, you are, and what you do. But but let, yeah. let's try and let's give some tools for our listeners. Then the the, the five key indicators, Victor. And whether it's Sydney or other markets mm-hmm. in Australia, what, what are those the five things that you should put front and centre of any property assessment that you do? So we're talking state, yep, uh, region, uh, suburb, and property type mm-hmm. um, analysis. Five things which are nice and simple. I'm going to start with you, Steve. Start thinking sure. about another one here. The, the very. <laughs> 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 I was just did, saying, didn't notice he came you. to me first, he's right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you're, mate, you're better at this than Steve. So, <laughs> by the way, we'll video this one day just so people can see just how how organic this discussion is. So, five, so, look to number one. The, the very very first thing that you know you need to need to uh, assess is what are you really trying to achieve? Are you just trying to uh, you know just get in the market because everyone else is, or is this going somewhere? Once you identify that, the the very next thing then you need to look at is the state that you're planning to buy in, um, is it going up, down, sideways? Because that will determine the type of property you need to buy. And then also get an understanding uh, in terms of how the market cycle works in that state and really down, right down to the suburb itself. Because if you look at Sydney in a generalistic term, Sydney goes uh, three to four years of heavy growth. Then it flattens out for about two, three years before it then starts in a ticking up so usually goes in a four to five year cycles uh, so we need to understand that so um, if you're looking at Brisbane as an example it, it goes through longer periods in this cycle so it get, goes through growth spurts of two to three years and then it's in, and it goes sideways for about five to seven years now I'm, I'm generalizing because each suburb is very different so you need to look at those things before you know you look at uh, any other factors such as um, your cash flows where you're going to get the loans from mm. and importantly 
if things went wrong, how are you going to exit out of this? What's your exit plan? Map those out first, which is probably all five points in all in one. There's not much yeah. left for me. Yeah, here. no, right? <laughs> no, I'm going I'm to summarize that into, mm. that's more of a macro decision making. So understand cycles. Every mm. market operates differently. You need to have an understanding appreciation of how those cycles work to help pinpoint how your particular circumstances fit within the nature of cycles at any given time. So point number one, understand cycles, macroeconomic type analysis. So and understanding what you're trying to achieve. And this goes back to our original point around um, how you, what information you read or digest in order mm-hmm. to make those decisions. And I'll give you point number two, uh, how your, your goal setting sits within the current environment in those mm-hmm. particular cycles. So we've got two points there. Steve, point number three. Liquidity. Okay, that's important. Uh, not just in a market, but yourself, because that will uh, help determine where yeah. and how you invest. Simple. That was it. Mm. So I didn't need like 10 minutes. <laughs> can, can you you, you're able to crystallize idea pretty quickly. So back to Victor then for number he's, four. He's, he's a man of few words. <laughs> yeah, <that's what> is, <laughs> you know what? It's a, it's a skill in property investment to be able to, and hence the reason why I want to get these five points, to be firm. Yep. Give me some guiding principles to help shape the way in mm-hmm. which you um uh, your research and make decisions. So the decision-making process is is difficult. You end up with analysis, paralysis and all that sort of stuff if you can't make a decision. Mm. Give me enough information to be firm about making a decision and there we go. So liquidity being one of them. Victor, what else Absolutely. you got for so, us? Point number four. Uh, straight on from liquidity, we need to be also looking at then uh, the type of property we're buying matched to our skill set and how long it'll take before it becomes income producing. Asset selection. Yep. Okay, and how do you go about doing that? Well, the first thing you got to look at is go to point know, one. Yeah, yeah. point one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what type of property you're buying in this market uh, to begin with? Is it is it an uh, off the plan? I'll go and wash my, my mouth with soap in a, in a minute for saying off the plan. Um, but you know, sometimes off the plan do make sense if the market is right. I'm not like saying Opal that it Tower. is. What a great, yeah, uh, I know, what a great right? investment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> would you buy, sorry, would no, you buy one of them? First of all, I would not buy in a high rise yeah. to begin with, right? It, it uh, doesn't make sense in that, uh, unless I'm actually planning ever? to live in there. I'd never say ever, right? Uh, never say never. Because if you got it for cheap enough and there's a clear exit strategy out of it, 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 it would make sense. So yeah. here's, here's just straying from the topic, would you buy one tomorrow for 50% of its original contract price? In the Opal Tower? Yeah. Uh, I'd struggle. I'd struggle. Because at the end of the day, I won't be able to offload it for 100% of its price. Yeah. yeah. So cheap sometimes. Cheap does not mean cheap. Yeah. Mm. Cheap sometimes is not good. Are you getting to um, maybe your point number five? It's, um, uh, you know, value is in the eye of the holder. So understanding value? Would that uh, be a no, really good point? No. no I'm, I'm going to go back to one of the three Ps that we talk about a lot, which is pipeline. And, and I'm, mm-hmm. I did briefly mention that earlier yeah. on, but pipeline's not just about construction and what's in the wings there, but it's also about where's the population coming from, how much growth, population growth are we looking for in particular areas, or what does it represent to me? Obviously, the construction, uh, what are the cash flow modeling forecasts? infrastructure so what's in the pipeline from every aspect that you can imagine mm. and pipeline and we'll stick with sydney just a bit longer lots of things are changing in sydney the government local governments are changing they're amalgamating they're merging you've got new airports coming online we're in the middle of an in- infrastructure boom in the middle of an infrastructure yeah. boom so there's lots happening your, your, your rail line out the north uh northwest is just about to start working i believe they're testing it and uh i saw one go past the other day oh yeah it's cool isn't it you know, well, I, was like, I haven't got a train for a long time, but it looked good. But that's interesting. And, and, and um, I, I challenge uh, anyone listening who is from Sydney, get in a car on a Saturday or a Friday. You know what? Get in the car on a Friday afternoon about 3 o'clock and drive out there 
and uh, experience what it's like to live out that way uh, in terms of traffic and congestion and all that sort of stuff. But mm. go and have a look at what's going on out there in terms the of infrastructure. There, if you want to have a real, real, real inside view of uh, an infrastructure boom and how it actually translates into the livability of a, an area during that transformation. It's a bit of a hassle, right, if you like traffic. Mm. But then what it's going to mean in the future. Uh, you go any of those rail stops along that north west rail link and it's Unitville. They, it'll, make going a, up. it'll make a massive difference. But that's, So that's part of the pipeline yeah. scenario there. But on the other side of the pipeline scenario for that very same area is that if you take a suburb like Rouse Hill, which is in that uh, that northwest sector mm. there, it, it's got something like another two and a half, don't quote me to be exact, two and a half thousand dwellings along with Schofields, another couple of thousand that are yet to come online. I went out Russell a couple of months ago and um, I'd been out there. I'd sort of driven past along Windsor Road, but I'd never really been in there. It is a completely different way people are living these days. Mm. It, 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 to me, it reminded me of like a... I don't know if Say you it. Know, Say it. Like a Disneyland, you know. Oh, you know, like Disneyland. No, not as in like, you know, you know, like a high street in Disneyland or, you know, Universal Studios where, where there's all these shops and places and, you know, it, it's, it's got that sort of feel about it. Every, you live there, you don't need to go anywhere except for the train station to go in the city maybe. Mm. Like everything is there. It's sort of very constructed feeling, you know. It all looks a bit, you know. Like it's a new city. It's like a new city, but it's like, um, I'm not going to say it looked fake. I'm going to say it looked manufactured if that makes sense. And I think and what I'm getting at is that I wouldn't want to live there personally, but I could see the appeal for people to live there. And mm. it's, it's changing the way in which Australians live. You know, this is not like white picket fence type stuff and you've got your own quarter acre block, which was, you know, the western suburb of Sydney. That's what it was. All the city was at a point in time. It's a very different way of living. So we have a changing population, a changing makeup demographic of, of Australia, in particular Sydney. And you think of pipeline, uh, you need to be framing that in how Australians are going to be living in the future. I think we're That's about, a good point. It's a tipping point. I think in 10 years, I read in the paper over the weekend, it's a tipping point where more people are going to be born outside of Australia living in Sydney within 10 years than, than born here. So they're bringing with them the, the different changes in nature to how they live. And Rouse Hill is mm -hmm. a really it's a, important point. Well, we're we having, had this, that, conversation we were having this conversation this morning in, our, um, in a team meeting. We were talking, someone brought up about the baby boomers and where they're going to how they how they've had an effect on the market and how they're also going to retract from the market as they get older, so on. Uh, then we had the what was X it, and Ys, the Gen the, X, yeah, that smashed Avo and X and Ys and Gen X and everything like that. And I said, but, and and for me, I made the point saying I don't think people are really getting a grasp that in ten to fifteen to twenty years time, that all of this is going to be a different playing field again because of the levels of immigration that we've had and that we'll continue to have and how these different melting pots of society will will, will change the face and how we live, where we live and the type of dwellings mm -hmm. that will need to be constructed. I don't even think the building or the modelling, the modellers have even nearly got it right yet. They haven't. And going back to getting your car and drive out there because I feel that Northwest Rail Link is a window into what future Sydney is going to look like you know, mm. moving forward. Um, but irrespective of it's Sydney or anywhere else, those same dynamics are happening. It's happening in Melbourne as well. These arterial yep. growth corridors and growth areas, are, the way they're building suburbs now isn't just a train station and, and flat blocks everywhere. They are medium to high density, yeah. um, uh, little mini cities in their own right. But that's another good point because you compared that to Melbourne. So if we do a Melbourne market update mm. as well, if, if you look at Melbourne in, and try to compare it to Sydney in terms of the way that these new cities, we'll call them inverted commas, are, are being built uh, and new suburbs, it's really hard and people always want to draw a comparison, Sydney and Melbourne, how they're quite, they're similar and they're not. 
Sydney is bound by mountain, sea and national parks. We've got a very limited envelope into which we can develop, hence why you've got that northwest corridor and down towards Badgerys Creek and mm-hmm. all of those sorts of areas which are being carved up because it's the last remaining land that we have that isn't affected by... You can't by, go any further, right? Yeah, that isn't affected by flood, fire, national parks, mountains or sea. Melbourne's a little different. There's a lot of green fields if you take Melbourne CBD all the way out to, say, Geelong, as an example, which is a hot... And it is just paddock after paddock after paddock. So there's yet a lot to be developed there. So drawing comparisons on Sydney to Melbourne, I think, is actually quite dangerous. But Melbourne will end up a bigger city than Sydney is, what, what all the data is saying at a, at what a all point the da- yeah, I, 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 think, I can't remember when a tipping point look, is. Look, this, this, is, this is where predictions yeah, uh, come I, in, right? So mm. if, you, if you dial back, I think, maybe a decade, there's all these data modelling and all that saying that Perth is going to be, the, be, be bigger than Melbourne and Sydney. That hasn't happened because the economy changed. So we need to be mindful of that and, and not blindly follow these data and say that, you know, Melbourne's going to be bigger than Sydney and all that. We need to look at it right down from uh, local economy and also follow the infrastructure boom as it stands right now. Uh, and uh, w- w- I've done a blog on infrastructure boom uh, in, in Australia. Where do I read that? Yeah, is, that is it on yeah. your website? Yeah, it is. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Um, and... Um, um, what you'll find is that Australia as the developed country has is spending per capita the most amount of infrastructure dollars in the world right now. So there's a lot of infrastructure going in. And one of the key points that we need to make sure that we, we um, um, address is that whilst all of the fundamentals we need to we need to look at, we also need to follow what's happening with the infrastructure and the impact it'll have. Interesting. All right. So we touched on it very briefly. The investability of Melbourne Right now, in its this market cycle, and going back to Victor's point, you need to understand every mm. city moves at different cycles. Good place to I think invest. I think Is there it's any trigger months. points that says yeah. it's ready? I think it's 12 months behind, mm. or 6 to 12 months behind Sydney's sort of peak uh, that we had. And as a result of that, I think it's softening and contracting prices. Be that so six it's to trough lagging. will follow Sydney's trough as well? <laughs> yeah, I believe so. Um, having said that, we've we're sporadically still buying down there and uh, in some of the areas which are continuing to do very very well uh, what are those areas you're not going to give me a particular sub but what are they, what what is the um the makeup of those areas where you're investing what do they look like um they look like well they would locals would refer to it as regional we don't so it's like the the Wollongong equivalent scenario same sort of distance from the CBD mm. maybe fair point yeah, yeah. Okay. having said that we think it's near its peaks and that we change the tune into which we're buying or the type of property which we're buying uh, whereas before say 12 months ago or no maybe 24 months ago it would have been it would have looked like sample a but now it's the same area but it looks like sample b just because the market dynamics are changing a little bit uh, and we like to withdraw from a market well 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 before its peak so that when it does soften that we're still at a comfortable LVR to that new We're still in the money. Trough, yeah, mm-hmm. correct. Still in the money. And uh, being in the money is Brisbane. Let's touch on that very quickly. Um, mm-hmm. We've got another couple of minutes. We'll keep going with this. Uh, sure. Good, bad, indifferent, sideways, left, right, up, down. Look, it depends on which side of Brisbane you go. So certainly if you went down, um, you know, your Logan way, mm. this is where you'd, you'd only focus on opportunistic purchases only um, and not, not just buy a stock standard property. Brisbane inner city ring certainly has got a lot of oversupply that that that's happened. Some that has uh, now abated. The other areas that are still to happen, uh, and then uh, obviously uh, you know anyone listening to this podcast would know about the Moreton Bay area and the and the university coming in and so forth. So depending on which side of Brisbane you're investing will determine the type of property. Um, we need to be mindful that uh, we are not uh, expecting Sydney type growth. 
or Melbourne type growth in Brisbane. We're talking a, a lower population. But understand that if we're looking at from from comparing it with Sydney, Brisbane at the moment is sitting at around the seventy percent below below your sorry seventy percent below uh, your Sydney uh, median price. Traditionally, it sits around the twenty six percent. So there is a bit of growth to happen there, and with all this infrastructure going in and and with loosening finance, we will see good growth. The million dollar question is when. But it's got some catching up to do. Mm. I think the important thing there, Vic, that you mentioned is that people can't compare any other market's growth to Sydney or Melbourne. To do yeah. that would be foolish and dangerous because it's... That's where the major population is. Well, let's are. measure the yeah. growth. Let's If we take Sydney and Melbourne, let's measure the growth, what it's been over the last 10 years in another couple of years' time once mm. we've finished that contraction and then compare it to the rest of the market. Absolutely. Yeah. As we go, go around the ground for 2019 predictions, um, way out west, Perth, How's it green looking? shoots. What's there, going there on? are certainly green shoots there, and I think the the industry in itself is doing a trying to kickstart perhaps Perth's market as well. Yeah, trying to say as many positive things about it as they can. That aside, there is some green shoots over there, and there is some fundamentals that are starting to shine mm. through in certain areas, and very very few areas at that, uh, which we have been purchasing in. And once again, we're quite opportunistic and deliberate in what we're looking for. I don't think it's a new investor's market. I think it's someone who's looking to add to their portfolio for diversification. You certainly wouldn't be going there for cash flow because that's quite poor. Uh, But value adding and medium term and obviously always long term growth, uh, there are some areas there which do have the the, the green shoots. But just remember, it is a long way to go there and everything is more expensive. Property management's more expensive, repairs and maintenance more expensive. So the, the actual... Um, bottom line to your numbers is uh, important. Back east, Victor, Tasmania, Hobart, Longceston, the state, the great state of Tasmania. Mm-hmm. Um, Look, I, I've, I've been on, I've been on record as not being a fan of Tasmania, mm-hmm. and and my, uh, my opinion still stands. You get any hate mail? Uh, I, I do, I do. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but you know, I live with it. Yeah. Um, the reality is that uh, look, any market that you look at, you can always find good opportunities if you look hard enough. But it's just that you need to be mindful of. You know, easy to get in, not so easy to get out. Yeah, we need to understand that. And with Tasmania, we've had um, uh, a, a surge of growth. But if you look at it from a historic point of view, every time Sydney and Melbourne has done really well, Tasmania follows and it's got get its growth spurt. But we don't have that ever increasing population. It's an aging population. Mm. So that's what we need to keep in mind. Uh, I'm not saying that we should not buy there, but if you are buying well, there, we did. you need to. Yeah, yeah, we, well, did, yeah. we did a little bit, but we also... We, we we think we picked the market and by saying, well, now it's time to get out. A little bit like Geelong mm. in Melbourne where yeah, absolutely. we got in well ahead at Melton's and so on and then mm. knowing that it was a short a short play for us, we get in, we saw the growth and then we move the money on elsewhere. I've heard good reports around uh, getting to the territories. Canberra um, mm. is an investable location at the moment. Your, your views towards um, that? Well, Canberra is it's very expensive in every which way you look at it, you know, purchase price, ongoing Land tax is a killer Land tax. Um, I, it's... I think it's always going to do all right. It's you know it's a service state, uh, and if you bought in close to the CBD, well then you'll do all right. We've done very well just on the northern part of the border there. So coming into Queen BM, which is New South Wales, we save on taxes. Still a short drive into the CBD of Canberra, uh, and that's done very very well for us. So Canberra, yep, look, it's it's okay. It's just not our sweet spot. Darwin, 
another territory. Oh, I hear they're trying to merge maybe with uh, South Australia on the grapevine, but uh, to turn into a state. But what's your thoughts of uh, hmm. Darwin slash Northern Territory, which really is Darwin, maybe Catherine? I don't yeah, know if you want to be yeah. down there. Look, but Now, um, population of less than a mil. Yeah. Yeah. That's... It's too big a land expanse. You you close down half the year because of the rains. Certainly not my pick. Again, uh, there are better opportunities uh, in in the bigger markets. Good fishing. Good fishing. <laughs> and, and, and there's the point. You know, yeah. where, where is where, where, where you're going to get the great use and That's utility right. of yeah. your money? And mm-hmm. is it in Darwin or anywhere? That's the decisions you mm-hmm. need to make. So when we look at that in that same context, um, South Australia, Adelaide. Adelaide always do done. Uh, uh, yeah. By the way, I watched a really good, um, maybe it was 60 Minutes or something on Baron Wyala the other mm-hmm. day. Uh, mm. That was a really interesting story. But uh, I sat there and I was watching that show thinking about you guys and next time we get together how industry is so inherently connected with property values. And, and if you don't know the story of Wyala, uh, it's huge steelworks there. I think it produces... I don't know, 60, 70% of, of Australia's uh, steel. Steel markets have changed quite a lot where rather than just doing big girders now, it's all quite bespoke, so it was really struggling. There was talk about they went into administration, the uh, the steelworks there, and uh, everyone's property prices just just plummeted, you know. Mm. So people's jobs are at, at stake and then also all their wealth and their properties were at stake. So the how connected in mm-hmm. industry is with um, – Property values and, and and South Australia is one of these areas. Once you get out of Adelaide, a lot of it's connected with single industries. Absolutely. Right? Well, you Absolutely. go to you yeah. go to and, and, Elizabeth. And, yeah, Elizabeth, Elizabeth yeah. and the car yeah. manufacturing, mm. which is you know, suffered. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, I think well. I think you, you guys you, like Adelaide. Yeah, we you know. like Adelaide. But mm. the key is that you know uh, you want to be investing fairly close to the CBD in this in this instance. So not 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 more than twenty minutes away. That's your um, ring that you'd invest in. Any mm. any further. You haven't got the population support, uh, and uh, also then you are very, very dependent on the just the one or two industries in that area. Good. You mentioned that you you're going to send us to an article somewhere we can read a little bit more about this sort of so stuff. Infrastructure. Yep. yep. So okay, we'll put it in the link. Is that yeah. specific? Is that just in general, or is that specific to any state? Uh, it is. It is across Australia. Okay. So all, all, what, what's being spent in which state? Okay. So go and check out the show notes. Click on that, and uh, you can read more about it. I, I think you know it's, it's really hard to do a bit of a around the grounds 2019 in, in such a short period of time, but we've just done some top-level ideas. I think the the five points that we made um, around how you go about shaping where you invest and how you do it uh, aren't relevant to any particular state. It's it's Australia-wide. So look to embrace those where you can. I want to move on. Uh, Victor, if there's any questions people have got around this sort of stuff, infrastructure and how they should be investing, where do they go? So questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au. Okay, and you're happy to take any questions and you'll get back sure to people as required. That's cool. All right, so I just want to get to our, our question of the month, and this is from Amy. And Amy writes, um, with the interest-only cap being taken away within the uh, the banks, is this going to impact on my ability to get finance? Short answer is no. It's it, Nothing really changes. Mm. Serviceability calculations are still serviceability calculations. The cap is just the, the amount of interest-only loans. doesn't affect you personally yet. Okay. So if people aren't familiar with what this interest-only cap is, Victor, what is it? So the uh, regulatory body, APRA, had brought in a uh, regulation where uh, a lender, a deposit-taking institute, could only have 30% of its mortgage book as interest-only, and the rest had to be principal and interest. So that impacted a lot of people, particularly the ones that were rolling off their interest-only period into into uh, straight into a principal and interest. They couldn't be reset into interest-only. Uh, now, they, the regulator has now taken off that handbrake, uh, and now there is no cap on interest-only loans that the bank can give out. However, they have not taken off the qualifying rates or anything like that. So nothing's really changed apart from the fact that the bank can actually give out more interest-only loans. 
What I've read around this is that uh, the banks have had a bit of a tap on the shoulder from um, the regulators saying, okay, maybe you can start softening a little bit the the credit criteria. Mm. Uh, are you seeing that in the work that you're doing with your your customers who are securing mortgages, or is Look, it still it, stringent? There, there, there is. So uh, you know, your ninety percent loans are, are coming back in, uh, and um, uh, you know, certainly. Um, if you look some at some attractive rates as yeah, well, yeah, very, yeah. very much so. And if you look at it historically, we've gone through this before, right? So we had, uh, you know, finance that became really difficult, and they eased it out. Then they eased it out a bit too much. The, the property market starts, uh, you know, on a like a runaway express train, and they try and put the brakes on again to different different ways. This time around, they used finance as as the way to put brakes on. Maybe next time around, they may use the interest rate uh, as as a way to stop it. But right now, I think they'll be further softening of um, finance. At the end of the day, when the property market does well, the economy does well. I think, well, and the RBA is absolutely petrified at the moment mm. around the dropping house prices throughout Sydney and, and Melbourne in particular. They're actually saying if Melbourne really follows Sydney's suit, um, this is going to play havoc on consumer sentiment and spending and that whole scenario then plays out with talk of perhaps interest rate cuts mm. um, from the RBA. That's yet to be seen. But at the end of the day, this isn't new. This this happens every, every four cycle. or five yeah. years. It's just the same thing. And at the, at the end of the day, I think uh, one of the things that the listeners need to take away is that don't panic if your property has gone back in value. So long as you're able to hold on to it, it'll come back up again. And this is just a temporary thing and it's normal cycles. So we're talking about cycles in terms of property was our point number one. You understand cycles, but there's also a financing cycle that goes hand in hand with property cycles. They're interconnected and linked. Yes. What, what happens yeah. with finance plays out in uh, the cycles of, of markets across Australia. So we're, we're in a finance cycle now. We've gone through a period of tightening, credit tightening and, and regulation tightening, and it's starting to soften a little bit, and these all work in, in unison. So. Just to give some perspective to the finance cycle, because I think that's a really, really good point. The last time Sydney saw... Uh, or New South Wales, Sydney, Melbourne saw price contraction like we did was when rates were 15, 16, 17%. Mm. Usually when we see a mm. contraction of price, obviously it's because interest rates go up, not at record lows where we have now. So that in itself is quite unique. The fact that the cycle rolls round and round and round isn't unique. There's just a different trigger most times. Okay. I think we've done a pretty good job for uh, uh, Episode 3, Series 3, Victor, of the Investing Insights of Right Property Group. Um, any closing remarks from you? Any any thoughts of brilliance which you normally have? <laughs> so, so, okay, I've listened to this podcast. Yes. Okay, okay, that's really cool. What do I do now? Fantastic. What do the, I do? the very first thing you got to do is is sort out what you really want to achieve out of investing, and then and then reach out if you want to reach out to us. It's uh, questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au. Go to our Facebook page, uh, or come to one, if you're in, in Sydney, come to one of our events. The next um, uh, live event is on the 26th of February at uh, Parramatta Ridges. Um, so um, open forum, open yep. forum. So uh, you know, register for that, and um, you're welcome to attend. And Steve, hypothetical, you've just listened to this podcast, and uh, you're a property investor. What's what's the what's the first thing you should do with the knowledge gained reassess your portfolio and its numbers uh, and that'll give you some pretty clear direction the numbers never lie the numbers never lie whether that be finance or equity or cash flow brilliant all right gentlemen thank you very much i appreciate your time and uh we'll be back uh, again next month uh, with investing insights with the right property group the information featured in this podcast is general in nature does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon before making any investment insurance tax property or financial planning decision you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you